Well, last week we began addressing one of the biggest questions that is most frequently asked by Christians, and that is, how can I know the will of God for my life? You ever wondered that? Ever asked yourself, how can I know God's will for my life? And so we're right in the middle of a series called God's Will for Your Life, and I want to begin this morning by telling you the story true story of the last flight of the Lady Be Good. The Lady Be Good was an airplane that had been on many successful bombing missions during World War I. And one night, she was out on a familiar bombing run, and she flew back toward home base, and the crew knew how long it usually took to make the trip. That night, however, there was a powerful tailwind hurtling the massive craft through the air much faster than normal. As the crew plotted their position according to their instruments, they concluded that there must be something wrong with the dials. Their instruments and calculations told them that it was time to break down through the cloud layer and land. Their watches and clocks, however, told them that this was impossible. They were in a precarious position. If they believed their instruments and came down through the cloud layer too soon, they might be spotted by the enemy and shot down by anti-aircraft fire. If they believed their clocks and came down too late, they would overshoot the airfield and crash in the desert beyond. They chose to ignore the instruments and believe their gut-level hunch. They stayed up, and they overshot the airfield, and their plane was found days later, crashed in the desert, and all the crewmen died. True story. And I think that story of the lady be good is a good analogy for us when we consider how to discern the will of God for our lives. In every decision that we face in life, we have to choose whether we look outside of ourselves, whether we trust our gut level hunches, or whether we look to our instrument panel. Now, our instrument panel is what? The Bible. And uh, it's really the only completely trustworthy standard on which we can base our decisions. Many times when we're faced with a difficult decision in our lives, we ignore the Bible and we rely on circumstantial evidence or rational calculations in order to decide what God wants us to do. And the results can be disastrous. Some of you, I'm sure, can give testimony of disastrous results of decisions that you made based on other things besides the clear uh, written Word of God. And I think our problem is that, that we expect God to reveal His will to us in ways that He told us, or excuse me, in ways that He never told us that He would. And last week we began this series by talking about seven wrong ways to discern God's will. Seven wrong ways to discern God's will. We said, number one is the improper interpretation and application of Scripture. Too many times we rip Scripture out of context or we do the lucky dipping thing where we just say, Lord, I need you to speak to me, and we do one of these jobs, and we, we, we sense that God is speaking to us uh, through the Scripture that we landed on that day. Um, so we need to be careful about how we use Scripture to discern the will of God. Secondly, is circumstances. We talk about open and closed doors, which in the Scriptures really only talk about ministry opportunities, period, and not everything else that happens to us in life. We talked about feelings and impressions uh, that we want to sense some kind of peace or uh, we have an uneasiness about something. And we, we, bottom line is we, we more often... 
than not feel our way through decisions rather than think our way through decisions. And we've just gotten in the habit of, of, of doing that. Uh, and then we talked about signs and dreams, the setting out the fleece, um, uh, kind of uh, acting like God is uh, dropping breadcrumbs for us to find. And we're like, oh, we found another one. Oh, there's another one. Oh, there's another one. And, and we're thinking that God's leading us through these little signs that might be happening throughout the day. We talked about prayer uh, being a wrong way to discern the will of God if you are expecting that in your prayer time, God is going to speak to you. That you're sitting there during your prayer time in, in, in sort of a, almost a transcendental quiet moment listening for the still small voice of God. Prayer is not a conversation with God in and of itself. We speak to God in prayer and He speaks to us, how? Through His Word. And then we talked about counsel, that sometimes uh, the counsel that we receive is not good counsel. Uh, it's simply based on someone's experience. It's based on their opinion. It's, a, it's maybe their suggestion, but it's not necessarily biblical counsel. So we have to be careful about the counsel we receive. And then number seven, we said personal desires uh, is a wrong way to discern God's will uh, because we don't always desire what God desires. It's, it, listen, it is not safe to follow your heart which is what the world says, especially uh, yesterday, Valentine's Day, when it comes to love, right? Oh, just, just follow your heart and you'll know. It's all about feelings and emotions. Well, that's a, that's a dangerous place to be. Nowhere in Scripture are we ever encouraged or instructed to attempt to discern God's will through any of these seven ways. And I, I mentioned last week, you know, that just by way of balance here, that what I mean by that is, is that with the exception of signs and dreams and feelings and impressions, all of these other things are a, 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 a part of the decision-making process. Scripture and circumstances and prayer and godly counsel, and even personal desires, if they're accurately understood and properly applied, they do come into play in discerning the will of God for our lives. God may use some of these things in his sovereignty and his providence as factors in revealing what his will is, but they must never be the, what did I say last week? The determining factor. Why? Because they're all subjective, whereas the Bible is objective. And God didn't leave us with some uncertain subjective means by which he expected us to try to find his will, discover his will. He gave us a better, more sure way than experience to know his will. And what did he give us? He gave us his word. And we looked at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 20, through 21, where, where Peter contrasts the transfiguration with the inspiration of Scripture. And he said, if anyone would want a, a, an experience to base their faith on, okay, we had it. I mean, we, we saw Jesus and all of his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. We actually heard God's voice, literally audible voice from heaven. This is my beloved son. We, we heard that. We saw that. Uh, you think we're sure about, uh, about whether or not what we taught you about Jesus is, is true, is real? Absolutely. But guess what? You have even something even more sure. And what is that? The word of God which you would do well to pay attention as to a light lamp shining in a dark place. 
And we talked about how Jonathan Edwards likened the, the Word of God to the polar star, to the North Star, as opposed to uh, trying to discern God's will through a jack-o'-lantern on your front porch. Well, why would you go to the jack-o'-lantern when you got the North Star? And so the primary way that God reveals His will to us is, is through His Word. His Word is His will. You want to know God's will for your life? It's sitting right there on your lap. That book that you're holding is God's will for your life. And so we don't have to look outside or beyond the scriptures to find the answers to our questions or, or to make decisions in life. And, and when we do, when we, when we try to discern God's will for our life through subjective means, like the ones we've been talking about here last week and reminding you of this morning, we unwittingly undermine the authority and the sufficiency of God's word. You say, what do you, what do you mean by that? Well, Let's talk about the authority of Scripture for a second. The Bible alone is the final authority in discerning God's will for our lives. We must never allow any of these other things to be the final authority in making a decision. The, the primary way that God guides and directs our lives is through the Scriptures, through His Word. And usually what happens is that when we're faced with some major decision in life where the Bible doesn't say anything specific about what we should or shouldn't do, we think, well, the Bible doesn't really say anything about this decision, and so we resort to one or more of these subjective means to guide and direct our lives. And without realizing it, we're assigning these things equal authority with the scriptures, we're placing them on the same level as scripture, and they become the final authority in making a decision. How about the sufficiency of scripture? When we try to discern God's direction through subjective means like feelings and, and impressions and circumstances and signs and, and counsel of others, it, in essence, what we're doing is, is saying that the scripture is not sufficient and, and, and we're treating these things as private messages from God in which he speaks directly to us in order to reveal his will to us. How many times have you heard the expression? And listen, I say it sometimes. I know you probably said it sometimes. It's just part of our Christianese that we picked up over the years. Well, God spoke to me, or I heard God speaking to me. Or God told me. Now, and we're not the person that's up there, you know, on the TBN and saying, hey, God spoke to me today and he told me to tell you this, you know, the preachers that are claiming that God speaks to them. We're just, just talking about our normal life experience. You know, God spoke to me this morning in my quiet time. Uh, well, we understand what that means. If, if you're talking about you read a scripture and, and, and you were convicted about something, you were, you were encouraged by something, you, you know, that, if, if that's what you mean by God spoke to you, I get that. I understand. But, but I think that, that, that phrase, that, that God spoke to me, uh, can be very confusing. If you want to say, uh, if you want God to speak to you, read the Bible. <laughs> read the Bible. That's how God speaks to us. But, but the point is that, that whether we realize it or not, what we're actually believing is that God's revelation comes to us from sources other than the Bible. And I know you don't believe that. I don't believe that. Sometimes it sounds like I might believe that by the way I talk because I've picked up this Christianese uh, language over the years. And even those of us who believe that divine revelation has ceased, we unintentionally become just like those who claim that God is still speaking today and giving new revelation. When we seek to know God's will through, through any other means than God's word, we are in, in a sense seeking new revelation. 
We want God to tell us more than he's already said. And the Bible makes it clear that he has said all that he's going to say. That the process of revelation has ceased. Jude chapter 3, we have the, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Revelation 22, 18 and 19 says, don't add or take away from this book. And if you do, then all the curses should be, of this book would be upon you. Listen, beloved, everything that God wants us to know and everything we need to know is contained in the 66 books of the Old and New Testament. We don't need any more than he's already revealed. And why? Because the Bible contains everything we need to know the will of God for our lives and to make wise, God-honoring decisions. That's what we, we, it's a practical implication from what we know to be true from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. In other words, it covers all the bases everything we need to be happening in our lives, so that the man of God may be sort of equipped, almost equipped. No, may be adequate equipped for what? Every good work. We've come a long way from the historic position of the early church. Listen to the Westminster Confession of Faith regarding the Word of God. It says this, quote, the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelation to the Spirit or traditions of men, end quote. John Calvin said this, God's will is not to be sought anywhere else than in his word. God's will is not to be sought anywhere else than in his word. Why not? Well, listen to some contemporary preachers, Haddon Robinson being one of those. He says, when we lift our inner impressions, our gut level hunches, if you will, to the level of divine revelation, we are flirting with divination. John MacArthur, in his book, Reckless Faith, a great book on discernment, he says this, treating subjective impressions as messages from the Holy Spirit is not really much different from claiming to receive divine revelation. Those who treat subjective impressions as revelatory prophecy are actually practicing a form of fortune-telling. In other words, you might as well go down to the local palm reader and let her give you her best guess as far as what's happening or what's going to happen. Now, I'm aware that my sermon last week stimulated some hopefully very healthy conversations uh, in your homes and in your grow groups and and, and maybe uh, with other believers in our church. And and, and I'm I'm glad. That's what I wanted to happen is is to really get you to rethink what you may have always believed about how to discern God's will for your life. And uh, I, I just think so many of us have been um, conformed to the spirit of the age in this matter. And, and, and hopefully it, it drove you back to the scriptures to be a good Berean and say, hey, my pastor said this, pastor said this this week. Well, where is he getting that from? I need to go back to the word to find out the truth about this thing. So, so if nothing else, you, it got you in the word this last week to, to really try to figure this out for yourself. That's a good thing. 
But my goal simply was this, was to kind of rip out from under you or, or, or to kick out that shaky foundation on which so many Christians base their decisions and, and, and place under you a more solid foundation, the more sure Word of God. None of these experiential and mystical and subjective means tell us anything with certainty. That's the point. You can't be certain about these things. The Bible, on the other hand, is the only trustworthy way that we can know for sure God's will for our lives. And as I said last week, the reason why so many of us are not sure what God wants us to do in certain situations is because we've left the sure word of God. The reason why we wonder so many times whether or not we made the right decision is because we tend to base our decisions on other things besides God's Word. And so we get confused and we get frustrated and we get scared because we try to make decisions based on mystical, experiential things. And I gave, I used myself as an example, trying to figure out whether or not it was God's will for me to marry Kelly. And uh, thankfully, 25 years later, we had an awesome Valentine's Day. And, and guess what? It was God's will. It is God's will that I married Kelly. How do I know that? Because I've been married to her for 25 years. Okay? It's it's that simple. Um, So, again, hopefully my example was was just a, a humble way of saying, you know what? Hey, we all tend to fall into these kinds of goofy nutty ways of trying to discern and to you know to to read into the providence of God and figure out God's will. And and I think one of the other reasons not only was I relying on mystical experiential things uh, to to determine God's will, but uh, I think my confusion and frustration and fear was simply because I didn't understand the will of God, period. Just, Just the will of God. What is the will of God, period? And by the way, we talk about God's will, finding God's will, you think it was lost. And you think with so many people looking for it, by now somebody would have surely found it. And they could kind of help us out. We kind of act like God's the Easter bunny and he's kind of hidden his will somewhere out here. And it's our job to find it. And he's up in heaven going, you're getting colder, colder, warmer, warmer, hotter. You know, that's not how it is. Or God's like a scientist who kind of puts us... Puts us all in a, uh, this intricate maze, and we're like little rats scurrying around back and forth, exploring these dead ends and trying to find our way through this maze. And he's up there with his clipboard and going, These guys are knuckleheads. What is their problem, right? They're taking notes, and, Ooh, that guy's got it down. No, God is not up there analyzing our every move and, and, and de- determining who's smart and who's stupid. Let's look at a couple verses, just a few, three verses in particular this morning that mention the phrase God's will or the will of God. And I think these verses alone will hopefully show you that this whole idea of finding God's will and figuring out God's will and discovering God's will, experiencing God's will is totally pagan. It's not biblical. Notice, uh, we'll start in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be, what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove 
what the will of God is. Notice it didn't say so that you might find the will of God, so that you may prove, literally the word dakimazo there is the word examine, that you may examine, prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And so the point is that uh, while we oftentimes try to feel our way through decisions, what Paul says is that your mind needs to be fully engaged when you're making decisions so that you can examine what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. By the way, I put a a link on the uh, sheet that I gave you this morning. Hopefully you all grabbed a sheet when you came in. If you didn't, there's still a few in the back. But uh, there's a link to a sermon uh, on the last question, question number six on the application questions, um, of a sermon. It's a link to a sermon on the internet on sermonaudio.com by a pastor named Bodie Bauckham. And I think you probably are familiar with that name. He pastors a church uh, just down the road here, Grace Family Baptist Church, and a very gifted uh, preacher of God's Word. And somebody mentioned that that they remembered hearing a sermon that was very similar uh, to last Sunday's sermon that they had heard him preach. And so they linked me to it, and I had a chance to listen to it. And, and, And it is truly one of the best um, explanations, I think, uh, and, and, and applications and illustrations of, of what I was trying to communicate uh, last week. And he was able to do it all in one sermon. And, uh, and, and apart from his very dogmatic uh, convictions about homeschooling and almost uh, elevating it to the level of a biblical mandate, uh, apart from those comments in the sermon, uh, I thoroughly agreed with everything that he said. And I thought he did a very... Um, masterful job of tying up uh, this, this whole issue uh, into a little package. And he basically um, did it as he was expositing through the book of Romans, and he came to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, uh, and he basically said, what we often do in the church today to discern the will, to discover, discern the will of God, is, is rank paganism. And so, just so you know, I'm not the only one who's kind of saying these things, um, uh, but here's another voice, um, a very biblical voice, I believe, who, who is saying the same thing. So I would encourage you to listen to his exposition of Romans 12, uh, verse 2, and uh, you'll be very, very encouraged and, and, and challenged by it. In fact, um, uh, just the opening illustration that he uses um, is just going to mess with your worldview. Uh, just, it's gonna, it messes with my worldview. And I'm like, hey, I'm teaching this stuff. And it was even challenging to have him say it in the way he said it. It challenged my worldview. It'll challenge your worldview, but that's a good thing. Because the point is, too many of us have been conformed in our thinking to the world. And we don't think biblically when it comes to making decisions and, and discerning the will of God. Romans 12, 1 and 2. How about Ephesians 5, 17? Ephesians 5, 17. So then, Paul says, do not be foolish, but find out what the will of the Lord is. Is that what your Bible says? No, it says, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul's praying for the believers in, in the church in Colossae. 
He says in Colossians 1.9, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. Again, what does he say? I'm not praying that you would find the will of God, that you would discover the will of God. No, I'm praying, being, I'm praying that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. My point in reading those verses is simply this. We're never told in the Bible to find God's will, to figure out God's will, or discover God's will. Why? Because God's will is not hidden or lost. God has clearly revealed his will to us in his words and in his word. And that's why when it comes to discerning God's will, we're told to examine it, prove it, understand it, know it. In other words, we are to examine and understand and know the scriptures. Why? Because the scriptures are God's will. And I think one of the most important things we need to understand and and know is what the scriptures teach about God's will. And so this morning, I just want to give you a, a quick theology lesson on the doctrine of God's will, and then draw some practical conclusions uh, from, from uh, these doctrinal uh, categories. And so most systematic theologies, uh, books that categorize all the truth of scripture into uh, different categories. Most standard systematic theology books divide the subject of God's will into two basic parts or two basic categories. There's God's decretive will and there's God's directive will or what you may be more familiar hearing as God's preceptive will. I chose directive just because it's alliterated, and you know me, you've got to have it the same letters because it's easy to remember. And so God's decretive will is essentially his decrees, the things that he's decreed. His directive will are his directions, or if you prefer the term preceptive will, it's his precepts. So there's a big difference there between God's decrees and God's directions, God's decisions that he's made in eternity past for all time and his precepts. Let's look at these two aspects of God's will one at a time. First of all, God's decretive will, again, based on his decrees, it's basically his concealed will that is unknown to us, which cannot be disrupted. God's decretive will is his concealed will unknown to us, which cannot be disrupted. What we're talking about here, this is God's predetermined plan for the history of the universe. In eternity past, God perfectly ordained what everyone would do and how everything would turn out all the way through eternity future. And his decretive plans include suffering, temptation, and even our sinful choices. God is not the author of sin, but he permitted it for the ultimate purpose of bringing him glory. So he could put, all, put on display all of his attributes in, in dealing with, with sin in the world and in our lives. And so although there's a permissive aspect of God's will, we shouldn't think of it as set apart from his perfect will. That, that there's God's permissive will and then there's his perfect will. No, it's all his perfect will in the, in the, in the realm of his decretive will. All of God's will is perfect even when we're permitted to sin against him. Why? Because his perfect will cannot be hindered, thwarted, or messed up, or as the term we've decided is disrupted. 
God's decretive will will come to pass no matter what happens. And he carries out his decretive will providentially. And when we talk about God's providence, we're referring to, to how he controls everyone and everything so that his perfect plan is accomplished. That's what we mean by God's providence. He orchestrates every single detail in the universe, big and small, significant and insignificant from the events that are happening right now in the Middle East to the spider spinning a web in the corner of some barn in Montgomery, Texas. God is over all of that. He controls everything so that everything works out just as he planned it in the beginning. I've given you some verses there. Um, Let me just read a few of them and feel free to follow along with me if you'd like. Uh, But Job chapter 42, Job chapter 42, verse 2, this is Job after God came to him, um, after they were trying to figure out why he was suffering, and this is Job's confession. He said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Psalm 115, verse 3, but our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. Psalm 135, verse 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all the deeps. Proverbs 16, 9. The mind of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Verse 33 of that same chapter, Proverbs 16, verse 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. You can quote that verse next time you're playing Yahtzee, okay? That uh, you want Yahtzee, it's got to come from the Lord, right? Um, How about Proverbs 20, verse 24? Man's steps are ordained by the Lord. How then can man understand his way? I love Isaiah chapter 46, and this is really a a biblical view of history, the history of the world. Uh, Isaiah chapter 46, verse 8 Remember this and be assured, recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things long past, for I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country. Truly I have spoken, truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it, surely I will do it. Great verses there in the Old Testament about the decretive will of God. You've got, of course, Romans 8, 28. God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And then, of course, the great crescendo of the first half of the book of Romans, Romans chapter 11, Verse 33, O the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or become his counselor or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. So that is God's decree of will. It's, it's, it's It's the part of his will that is concealed from us, it's unknown to us, but it cannot be disrupted. How about his directive will? Well, this is his revealed will that is known by us, which can be disregarded. It can be disregarded. 
So what are we talking about here? God's directive will. It's His revealed plan for what everyone should believe and how everybody should live. And we know that God superintended certain men as they wrote down exactly what He wanted them to write so that we would know exactly what He wanted us to know. We saw that last week, 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, the inspiration of Scripture. And so God's directive will includes all the precepts and promises and commands and directions contained in the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 14, it's interesting how um, Moses talked about uh, the law or God's word. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11, for this commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us and make us hear it, that we may observe it, nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it, that we may observe it, but the word is very near to you in your mouth and in your heart that you may observe it. He's talking about the law. You don't have to sit around and go, well, God's will's up in heaven somewhere, and we just got to get up there, and, or it's across the sea. No, he says, right here in front of you. You don't have to go looking for it. It's right here. Romans 2.18, Paul likens the law here. Notice what he says, Romans 2.18. He says, but if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God, you and know and know His will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out, and being instructed out of the law. He's saying, listen, you know His will and approve the things that are essential because you're instructed by what? The law, the the Word of God. In fact, some commands are specifically stated to be God's will. Let's look at these for a moment. In the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, you say, well, I want to know God's will for my life. Well, you ready? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's God's will, desire, if you will, for, for all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, how about Ephesians chapter 5? Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15, 16, and 17. Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, giving thanks and all things, being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. It's God's will, right, that you don't be under the control of alcohol, but you be under the control of the Spirit. And then it flushes itself out in your life by speaking uh, with joy and gratitude and submission. That is God's will for your life. How about this? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God. You're like, whoa, I've been looking for the will of God. He's going to tell me right now, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality. God wants you to be sanctified. He wants you to be set apart from sin unto him. That is his will. How about, we're there in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, and 18, rejoice always. 
pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's what? Will for you in Christ Jesus. You want to know God's will for your life? Rejoice, pray, and be thankful. You'll be in the will of God, as we say. How about 1 Peter chapter 2? 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Submit yourselves to the Lord, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as to the one in authority or to governors um, as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. So it's the will of God that you submit to the authorities that he's placed over you and do the right thing in order to be a witness, a testimony to a lost and dying world. And we're there in First Peter. Look at verse, chapter 4, verse 19. Chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. So we also see that it is the will of God for us to suffer. Now, last week I recommended a book to you. I want to recommend another one to you. If, you. if you only read one book on the will of God, make it this one. And, and by the way, look at how little it is. You could like read that in 20 minutes this afternoon, okay? This is called Found God's Will, Find the Direction and Purpose God Wants for Your Life by John MacArthur. And basically, uh, he addresses this whole issue of why, is it so, why do we make it so difficult to discern the will of God? He's clearly stated for us uh, in his word, what is his will? That we be saved, that we be sanctified, that we be set apart, that we be submissive, um, that we be doing what is right and doing what is good, that we be prayerful and thankful. And he says, if you are, basically, this is his conclusion, if you are doing all of those things, then when it comes to making a decision, go do what you want. <laughs> go, go, go do what you want. Why? Because you're doing the will of God. You're, you're living out according to the, uh, the, you're living out his directive will. You're following his directions. And so this is a very helpful, practical little book I would encourage all of you to read. And, and uh, if, for, this is, you know, this is the opposite extreme, okay? Okay, this is for the engineers, okay, and the mathematicians in the room, okay? This is probably the classic book, um, regarding decision-making and the will of God, a biblical alternative to the traditional view. And what I'm trying to poke holes in uh, last Sunday and this morning is the traditional view of how we discern the will of God. Um, and this author, Gary Friesen, has done a masterful job uh, really in a lengthy treatment. And, and it, this, this book will make your brain hurt. I just want you to know, okay? Uh, please don't try this at home, all right? But seriously, this is a great book for those of you that really like to think deeply about these kinds of things he does an excellent job, Decision-Making the Will of God by Gary Friesen. I would highly recommend that um, um, to, to you. He, he does a really good job of differentiating between God's decretive will and God's directive will or perceptive will, which we're talking about this morning. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 29, 29. Look at, look at this, Deuteronomy 29, 29. Deuteronomy 29, verse 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things, what? Revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe all the, what? Words of the law. 
So what do you have going on here? I think you have the distinction made between God's decretive will and his directive will. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. What is that? That's his decretive will. Those are his decrees that he made in eternity past, and it's what's going to happen all the way till eternity future. And it's secret. It's unknown to us. It's concealed. But he says the things revealed belong to us and to our sons, and then he gets specific that you may observe all the words of this law. What is that? It's the word. It's the scriptures. That's what he's revealed to us. So again, there's God's part. When it comes to discerning God's will, there's God's part, and there's our part. There's God's decisions, and there's our decisions, and we need to maintain this critical distinction between God's decretive will, his decisions in eternity past, and and our decisions based on his directive will given us here in the scriptures. You say, why is that so important? Someone has said it this way, that without this distinction, the distinction between God's decretive will and his directive will, he said this, quote, our pursuit of the will of God can plunge us into hopeless confusion and consternation. I'm like, that was me trying to figure out whether or not I should marry Kelly. When we seek the will of God, we must first ask ourselves, which will are we seeking to discover? Which will was I seeking to discover? Which category or aspect of God's will was I trying to discover when I was trying to figure out if I should marry Kelly? His decretive will, right? If our quest is to penetrate the hidden aspects of his will, then we have embarked upon a fool's errand. We're trying the impossible and chasing the untouchable. Such a quest is not only an act of foolishness, but also an act of presumption. There is a very real sense in which the secret will of the the secret counsel of God is none of our business and is off limits to our speculative investigations. Wow. That's convicting. And, And that really summarizes... My problem, my confusion, my consternation when it came to trying to to make a decision who I was going to marry. Because I was trying to peer into eternity past and and, and see who God had chosen for me to marry. And that was off limits. That was a fool's errand and it was pure presumption on my part. Rather than simply, what? Looking into God's word and saying, what are the principles in God's word related to making decision about who you marry and trusting God that as I walked in obedience to the principles of his word, that, that I would be walking in his will and not freaking out about it. And so let, let me just draw some conclusions here, hopefully quickly, that, that I think are very important and very helpful when it comes to discerning the will of God in your life, okay? These are based on this theological understanding that, that God's will needs to be separate, separated or categorized in our minds as his decretive will and, and, and his directive will. Number one, okay, this is, this is practical conclusion number one, we should strive to know the word of God rather than the will of God. We would do a lot better saying, you know, I'm trying to discern the word of God in this situation, Rather than I'm just trying to discern the will of God in this situation, I'm trying to discern the word of God. Usually, usually when we try to find God's will for our lives, we're focusing on his decretive will. I, I want to know God's will for my life. We, we want to know something that God never intended or expected us to know until after it happens. And we, we can't figure out God's decretive will ahead of time. 
nor should we try to figure it out ahead of time because, frankly, it's none of our business. And, and I already read that Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 24. It says it so well. It says, man's steps are ordained by the Lord. How then can man understand his way? You're like, hey, let me tell you how I discerned the will of God. And I went over here, and then I did this, and I took this step, and I went here. And I, like, you have no clue what you're doing. Because God has ordained it all. Isaiah 55, God's ways are what? Higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. What we should be focused on, instead of his decretive will, we should be focused on his directive will. That's the only thing we can know for sure, and show, so it should be the only thing we should strive to know. And God has already revealed to us in his word everything we need to know to make the decisions that we need to make. And so we have to ask ourselves, okay, so how do I know God's word? Through the illuminating ministry of the Holy Spirit. So for those of you that are feeling like, hey, this seems so like impersonal and, and, and logical and where's the spirit of God in all this? Well, listen, the spirit of God helps you know the mind of God through the word of God. And so instead of asking God to reveal his will to you and and sit around waiting for him to whisper something in your mind or analyzing your feelings and desires or interpreting the circumstances, you should simply ask the Spirit of God to illuminate your mind to understand the Word of God and grant you the wisdom to apply it in making whatever decision you need to make. Having said all that, I do think that we should acknowledge God's decretive will whenever we are making decisions decisions based on his directive will. James chapter 4 verse 13, come now you say today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. In other words, you're planning your life out, nothing wrong with that necessarily, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. That young man that woke up on Friday morning, got on his motorcycle and started going to school, probably had his whole life planned out in front of him. But we don't know what tomorrow holds. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord, what? Wills, we will live and also do this or that. I think that's something that we need to work into our vocabulary to replace some of this Christianese that we've already developed over the years. To to talk about, hey, I'm going to do that. Lord willing, I'm going to do that. And that's not something spiritual and pious to say. It's something very biblical, very godly, very humble. You're acknowledging God's decree of will, that I'm making these plans to go to this school or to go to this, take this job or to buy this home or to whatever, to go on this vacation and, and, and just to acknowledge I've made my plans. We make our plans, but the Lord directs our steps. Lord willing, we'll do this or that. And so when it comes to discerning the will of God, our part is to simply follow his word. God's part is to providentially work out the details, right? We, we follow his word. He works out his will uh, in our lives. So number one, we should strive to know the word of God rather than the will of God. Number two, we should not try to figure out God's specific or individual for our lives, Again, there's only two aspects of God's will. There's his decretive will, and there's his directive will. There's not a third category that we could call his individual will or his specific will. We, we, we use the term, well, God's perfect will. I want God's perfect will for my life. Well, is God's will anything but perfect? Or I just want to be in the center of God's will. 
We talk about that. These are just, again, Friesen's book on decision-making the will of God. He, he, he exposes these kinds of fallacies in our minds and our hearts. Now, does God have a specific will for every one of us as individuals? Does he have a specific person that he wants us to marry, a, a, a specific place he wants us to live, a school for us to go to, a job? Has he picked those things out for us? Absolutely. Acts 17, 26, that God determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. In other words, God has sovereignly determined when you would live and where you would live and everything else included in that. Again, this is talking about his decretive will, his determinations. But he never intended for us, nor does he expect us to run around trying to figure out his specific will for every specific detail of our lives. Again, we can just stick with his directive will, his word. And the Bible doesn't reveal what God's will is for every specific detail of our lives. I mean, at times it's very specific. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You think, well, should I have this affair or not? I wonder if it's God's will. No, it's not God's will. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Sometimes it's very specific. But, but a good portion of the Bible it simply contains general principles which he's given to guide us in making right decisions. Like, man, should I marry this girl or not? Should I marry this guy or not? Well, God didn't say, thou shalt marry Bob or thou shalt marry Judy. What does it say? Marry in the Lord. 1 Corinthians seven thirty nine. And so, see, the Bible works more like a, a compass. We, we, we would rather have a map, right? Give me a map. I want to see the specific, every turn I got to make, right? You love that when you pop that on your Google Maps and boom, it comes up and it's like every turn and you, you love that. But what if all you had was a compass? What if your iPhone just had a compass and you wanted to go to Houston? It says, well, go south. You're like, okay, guess I'll figure this out as I go, right? In some ways, that's what God intends for us with his will. He doesn't give us specific instructions. Turn right here. Go 100 yards. Take a left. Stop. Your destination will be on your left, right? He doesn't do that. He gives us general directions. That's why the Bible has been referred to as God's law or the Torah. You've heard that expression, right? The Torah. The word Torah literally means, you know what it means? To thrust out the finger in order to point the way. So the Bible is God's way of pointing us in the right direction. He's like, hey, go in that direction. Don't go over there, go there. That's the Bible. And so the Christian life requires that we live by faith and not by sight. We kind of wish the Christian life was like an iPhone and just punch it in and it brings us exactly to our desired destination with every step along the way. And, and bottom line is this, faith is taking God at his word, trusting that what he said is enough to act on, and having the confidence that if it really matters to God, he's going to redirect a decision. I mean, you, you hey, guys, I, I'll tell you what, you, you say, hey, I'm, I'm, I, want, I want to marry this girl, and, and she's a Christian, and, and, and I'm not violating any principles in the scriptures. It seems like everything's lined up. Everybody's giving me the green lights, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to propose to her, and she says no. Guess what? It ain't God's will. <laughs> but you saw, I, I was doing God's will, and I'm like, yeah, guess what? You were doing exactly everything you were supposed to do, and apparently it mattered enough to God to say, nope, that's not the one I want you to marry. And you just keep going forward in faith. You say, hey, we're gonna, we're, we love this house. We're going to buy this house. It seems like a good investment. It's good stewardship. And we're going to move ahead. And we're going to put a down payment on this house. And, and, and guess what? It falls through escrow. And you're like, 
whoa, what happened there? We thought we were in the will of God. We thought we were doing what he wanted us to do. And, and, and we were going to give the extra money away that we, we were going to make off this to, to missions. And you, you thought you were doing everything right and it falls through escrow. Well, guess what? It mattered, apparently it mattered enough to God that's not where he wanted you to live. But you just walk in faith and trust him that he's got something better out there for you. So it's helpful to keep the big picture in mind at all times so you don't lose sight of the forest which is God's sovereign control over the universe for all the trees, all these specific details that we're bumping into every day. We've got to make all these decisions. Hey, just kind of fly above all that and realize, you know what? God's got a plan in all this. And then the third conclusion, I think this is the, maybe the most helpful, uh, the most comforting one. You ready for this? We cannot miss or mess up God's will for our lives. Can you all just let out a sigh of relief? So glad you're here. We cannot miss or mess up God's will for our lives. And I think many of us, I was one, as I admitted last week, living in fear that if you make the wrong decision, you're going to miss God's best or worse, you're going to ruin your life forever. I thought God was playing some kind of game. Okay, here's a test. Is it really Kelly? Or maybe, maybe the real one he wants me to raise is six months down the road. I was playing all these mind games and freaking myself out. And God's best and worst. And I'm going to wreck my life. Ooh. Listen, you cannot miss God's decretive will. It's going to happen no matter what. God has only one plan for your life. There's no plan B. Well, you know, uh, I'm going to give him this crossroad. He can either go this way or he can go this way. And this is my best, and this is his, my second choice. This is my permissive will. No, this is God's. That, that's, and when it comes to his decretive will, he only has only one plan, plan A. There's nothing you can do to change it or thwart it or mess it up. What he has planned is going to happen no matter what. However, we can disobey his directive will, but even then, we're not outside his decretive will. Because God's decretive will includes our sinful choices, our unwise decisions. And, and listen, sometimes people use their sinful choices, their unwise decisions, as an excuse to get out of a difficult situation they're in, claiming that it's obviously not God's will that they're in this situation. Like the person who marries an unbeliever against the, decree, the directive will of God. And a year into this thing, the wheels have fallen off, and their marriage is a wreck, and they're dealing with all sorts of problems, and they come to me as a pastor and say, Pastor, you know what? And I totally messed up. I married an unbeliever, and, and I'm out of God's will. And, and, and I need to get a divorce because I know it's not God's will for me to be, to be married to an unbeliever. And, and besides, I'm, 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 I'm not happy, and I know it's God's will for me to be happy, and so I, I need to get out of the marriage. I'm like, guess what? It is God's will that you married that person. You know how I know? Because you're married to him. That's God's decretive will. And now you're dealing with the consequences of going against his directive will for your life. But that's okay, because guess what? That's all part of his decretive will. He wants to teach you something through this. And he's going to use this to glorify himself. He's going to use this to accomplish good in your life. So my point is this. It's not right to think you're outside of God's will or to feel miserable because you missed God's best for you. There is no second best. God will always work out everything for the best in our lives if we love him with all our hearts. That's Romans 8, 28. And God allows us to make bad decisions in life so he can teach us things that we'll never learn any other way. And what you may have meant for evil, God meant for good. 
Amen? Now, listen carefully. I am not advocating fatalism. God is going to do whatever he's ordained he's going to do and doesn't matter what I do or don't do. I'm just a robot. I'm just a puppet on a string. No, you're not. You're a piece of clay in the potter's hand. That's what you are. And the potter's making you into exactly what he wants you to be. And don't be like those people in Romans 9 who Paul anticipated would ask, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who resists his will? They were going fatalistic on this whole understanding of the doctrine of election. He says, on the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? Listen, God is sovereign over all things, but he also holds us responsible and accountable for our actions and decisions. How all that works out, I'm not sure. But that's what the Bible teaches. And I'm convinced that these three conclusions, based on a proper understanding of God's will, will keep us from being paralyzed with fear while making some difficult decision in our life and and then keep us from second-guessing that decision after we've made that decision. Now, some of you might be thinking, oh, you know, this is all great, but you still haven't told me how to decide what college God wants me to go to, or who I'm supposed to marry, or if I'm supposed to take this new job and move my family halfway across the world, or what house I'm supposed to buy. I got two I'm looking at, and whether I should go on a mission trip this summer. Listen, I can't tell you specifically what decision you need to make, but I can tell you generally how to make that decision. And you got to come back next week to hear that, okay? And we'll talk about a very practical process that you can go through when it comes to making decisions in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I know this has been a challenging subject to think through, and in many ways it is messing with our worldview and um, causing us to really rethink everything we maybe have believed for for so many years and, and, and didn't even realize how subtly we've been conformed to the spirit of the age and the ways of the world, and I just pray you'd help us to sort this stuff through and and, uh, make us good Bereans who don't just take the pastor's word for it, the preacher's word for it, but that we would all go back to your word and and study this thing out for ourselves to make sure we know for sure uh, what it is that we are to believe about this subject of your will. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.